Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of You'd Love to See It. I can see that little red bar up there that says that I said hello. You peaked I, the I, audio. I, I definitely peaked the a little bit. The first word. I know, the first word. I do it often. What can I say with this voice? Would you not peak the first word? That's all Is I can that say. A, is that a euphemism? or? I, it can be whatever you want it to be, Caleb. Hey, okay. you, know what, you know what we're doing this week? Is that a euphemism? What's no, it? no, that's not a you. Okay. No, we're recording a podcast. Oh. On a film. You know what film? No. It's a Wes Anderson film. Who West what? West, not not West. Wes Anderson. You ever oh. you ever heard of him? Who's who's that? He's a director. Well, I would imagine if it's his film. <laughs> you know what film he directed for uh, this week's episode? East? No, 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 no. The the French Dispatch. That's East. Is it East? Well, I mean, I guess it's relative, right? It's west or east, no matter what. France. Well, yes, but right. what what map are you looking at? What do you mean? Uh, it, either way, it's east or west. It's west and it, right, it's right. East. But it's west. <laughs> it's east and west. But you, you, you know s- what? You know maps. You know what? I didn't introduce you guys. I'm so rude. We're so. I'm such a rude host to not introduce the other two hosts, Caleb Brunman. And Eric Zhu, who's purring. How are you guys doing today? Not as good as Eric, because he's purring, yeah. which can only mean one thing. That he's obviously had a nice belly rub and is ready to... Uh... Not what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and is ready to talk about the French Dispatch. Uh, this week, before we talk about the French Dispatch, I wrote down some of the, uh, you know, it's become a... What do you, what do we call it? A, what, what's a symbol that like, keeps popping up? A motif. Yeah, a motif. A common motif through the uh, the podcasts episode this season has been just going through either movies or trailers we've seen recently. Um, and I wanted to start with some of the trailers that I saw for the French Dispatch, but also just in general, uh, ones we may have not touched on that we have definitely seen or heard about. So first, before we do that, you guys have any movies you've seen in the last week? It's been about a week. It's been exactly a week since we've recorded Last episode, any any film you want to shout out? Special special shout out to anything, Eric? Okay. Um, I watched the new Todd Haynes doc, The Velvet Underground. Um, yeah, worth seeing if you like them. He Todd Haynes does this cool like almost like brackage like approach to the documentary where. Um, voiceover like there's voiceover in the audio, but most of the visuals are like overlaid or placed out in a grid playing next to each other um lots of superimpositions um with a lot of like velvet underground music in the background it's a lot of it is about just like new york in the 60s and 70s like the velvet underground but also like warhol and all that good stuff um and it was cool because i knew very little about it and i felt like 
I learned a lot. Also, apparently one of the main guys in the Velvet Underground plays the viola. And he talked a lot about the viola, so that was very nice. Huge. Yeah, very we, worth it if you are interested. It's on Apple TV. Did you see it? You saw it in theaters, though, right? No, I saw it on Apple TV. Oh, okay. I thought Sadly. you were... Wait, weren't you going to... Was I, I was... I was going to but then i missed the showtime okay i was to say so it is playing in theaters though it is playing in theaters okay caleb you seen any but movie it's also on apple tv it is which on the... you can watch on your phone are we sponsored by apple tv now They're no but cool. you can watch it on your phone you can caleb you seen any movie in the last week nope battle of algiers perhaps <laughs> we did see that um saw that well, a we week saw, ago a little over technically at this point since we saw it before we did the podcast last week it's pretty good you yeah. said you you declared it was the best third cinema film of our third cinema class so far. So, um, memories yeah. of underdevelopment. I definitely think I would I would memories. say memories is my favorite, followed by this as a second. But let's get into some trailers. So, in two weeks we have Belfast, um, which will be the episode two weeks from today. Uh, seen that trailer a bunch of times. Um, not much to say about it other than are you guys are are you excited for it? Daddy. <laughs> Is that because of um what's Daddy? What what's his name? No, don't say it. Don't say what I think. Sorry? <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> um I saw the trailer again for probably like the third or fourth time. Um and yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it because on one hand, I'm like, this looks interesting. On the other hand, it seems very like a typical, maybe not typical, but just seems very Oscar, you know, like a, you know, like this is, Isaac, I, like it feels baby. like one, <laughs> it feels like a movie that's meant for the Oscars and I guarantee it's going to win some awards. Um, looks uh, interesting though. Um, it's in black and white, but there are, is, are there, is it? There were color portions in the trailer, right? Um, I don't remember, okay. but I thought there were color. I, didn't... I did hear it in a, someone describing it in a podcast as <laughs> Kenneth Branagh's Roma, which Uh-oh. it does. Lo- it does look Uh-oh. like. Uh oh. So <laughs> yes. great for the Oscars. Not great for Caleb Sanity, is what you're telling me. I felt so good after I watched. After Roma. you watched Roma, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I believe that. So after that, uh, I saw the trailer this weekend. I don't think I've seen, I haven't seen it in a long time for the new Ghostbusters film. I don't have much to say about it. I know you guys aren't a big fan of Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is one of my favorite Bill Murray films. I'd say second favorite. Um, and apparently he's in it. And uh, I'm interested to see what that's going to be about. Um, I saw the trailer again for Nightmare Alley, which you are kind of excited about, right? No. You're not. Yeah, no. You're not. I for some reason I thought you said you were. Maybe um He has two movies coming out this year. Oh, does he have like an animated one? No, Antlers. That's not him. That's produced by him. Maybe. Wait, really? I yeah, thought he definitely does yeah. I thought he was doing both. Maybe There's yeah, no th- way. Because Antlers was delayed. Antlers was directed by Scott Cooper. Oh, so he's just producing it, I guess. Or maybe he wrote it. I thought he was involved with it somehow. Yeah, he's the producer. Okay, okay. Well, that's why I associated his name um, with it. So, I am a noted not fan. Noted not fan of his work in general or of Nightmare Alley? 
every single thing he's touched. <laughs> really? <laughs> you don't like a single thing? Fans Labyrinth is okay. Do you feel... Well, Caleb, what's your opinion on this? Um, I think I've only seen Shape of Water. You didn't see Devil's Backbone? I did not. Uh, well, why wasn't it assigned? <laughs> I was sick that day. <laughs> I've actually only seen one, and it is it's Pacific Rim. <laughs> That's the only one I've seen. Um, so I don't even know what to expect. Um, trailer's interesting. It has a crazy cast. It does have a crazy cast, and uh, you know people are jumping on that train of having Willem Dafoe in exposition. They just love Willem Dafoe. We should rewatch the original. The original is a classic. The original what? The original Nightmare Alley. Oh, I didn't even know it was a remake. I assume it's a remake. What do you mean? There, there's a there's a noir called Nightmare Alley set in a carnival. Oh, it's very famous who, who in ma- the forties. Who's the director? Um. Wow, this actually shocks me. I had no idea. That is a great question. Let me. Yeah, I can't. Letterbox is not loading at the moment. Uh, Edmund Golding, hmm. but it's a, it's a, it's a big one. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it looks interesting. I haven't seen. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy, the main. Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I haven't seen Bradley Cooper in a lot lately. Was he? What's the, What's the last big movie he was in? He's in a few. A star is born. Yeah. Limitless. Limit Limitless was a was a good movie. I like Limitless. This was a bop. A bop? Certified. Did you ever watch bop. the TV show they made off of it? I never did. I did actually. Did you act was it worth it or no? It wasn't great, but you know, it was it's it, it had that it had a similar energy that yeah. you just are attracted movie, to. The movie's good. Yeah. I I I rewatched that from time to time. Um I've seen the eightieth iteration of the Kingsman trailer. Um you know, I don't know what to say about that. I, I don't have, isn't it, wait, is that based, is that connected to a franchise or something or? Yeah, the Kingsman. The Kings franchise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay, I've never seen any of them. Are they worth seeing? Yeah, I think they're pretty fun. I like So them. what is this one? Why is this one? This one's one? a prequel. Okay, so this is, so this is the Kingsman. All right, so this is, okay, I get it. This is the prequel. But this was also a pre-pandemic film, correct? That got delayed? Yes. Because Ghostbusters was... Kingsman was something else was I don't remember, so yeah. Um, there's three more that we should talk about before we move on. One of them I don't even want to mention, but every time I watch the trailer for West Side Story, I get that much less interested in seeing the actual film. So, yeah, I don't. I don't even. Are we doing West Side Story? We we have to be right. I think it's on the schedule. I don't know what that's gonna be. My like. prediction is Eric likes West Side Story. Even less than In the Heights. Wow, that's a he gave In the Heights two stars or a star and a half. That'd be pretty crazy. <laughs> West Side Story is on the schedule. It is. He says with sheer anticipation. Eric, our Eric Caleb, I'm gonna make a bold prediction. I think mm. you're gonna give West Side Story at least three stars. I think you're gonna give it at least three stars. I don't know why. I just think you might. Is it because of Wes Anderson? No, no. In fact, uh, not connected whatsoever. Oh. It's actually Diane Weist. Diane Weist. Um, West Side Story. Two big movies, though. Let's talk about these two big ones. There's two big movies that we should mention because they're the ones that I'm looking forward to the most. Eric, can you name those two movies? First Upcoming cow. movie. 
No, second cow. Cow. Just yeah, just cow. Andrea Arnold, twenty twenty one. Um, Can you name those two movies, Eric? Well, one is Licorice Pizza. One is Licorice Pizza. The other Pizza, is House of Gucci. And the other one is House Let's of go. Gucci. So, Father, Son, House of Gucci. Licorice Pizza, I just saw the trailer for. I won't say too much because Caleb is not say anything. Um, Eric, you have seen the trailer, right? Yeah, like over a month ago at this point, though. Was it the same trailer? Is that this, yeah. Okay. I, all, without saying anything, I Sounds I like you're about really, to say something. I really like the trailer. I really like the trailer. It was a long trailer too, but I, I, I mess with it like hardcore. I'm excited. Um, so why are you giggling over there? <laughs> why are you giggling? I'm trying to keep the profanity to a low. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it. Welcome down. to love to see it with the your PG host ver. Zach Aid, who messes with it <laughs> hardcore. I'm just trying to say I'm very excited for Licorice Pizza. Um, it looks very good, but the other film. That you mentioned, Eric, that is also on the list is House of Gucci, which is um, been I've, I'm getting more and more hyped about it as I see more and more about it. It looks so fun. Um, it looks it. really, really good. And there was a, a little report. I don't know what you want to call it, news story out today about how uh, Lady Gaga actually method acted mm. for nine months to a year for her character. Um, it really comes across <laughs> in the trailer. <laughs> as so, she should. I'm I'm excited. Oh my god. Did you guys see her British Vogue photos yesterday? I didn't. Oh my god, wait, wait, I have to pull them up. Were they so good? Were they like for the film or was it just No, like, they, oh, she's okay. just, oh, I mean Ah. Oh. oh, Eric, look at that peak you just had right there. <laughs> you just peaked hard. Do you see her? Let me see this. Just like scroll through them. Okay, at first I thought this was like a kidney No. I couldn't see it from That's like, the up art, close. okay? Oh my gosh, what is this? Wait, wait, where do I scroll through? Oh. Oh my god! These are all like she's wait. Why are there so many different photos? Why aren't there more? <laughs> are these all like on the ask cover? the right questions? Um, I think it's just a photo shoot. Dude, these are some wild photos. This one is definitely my favorite. That's a nice one. Oh yeah, they're, they're um, wow. They look really nice. I'm excited. You know, I still haven't seen a Star Is Born. Is it worth watching? Yes. It is? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. Uh, I, I actually wasn't even sure if you had seen it. So maybe I'll have to give it a, give it a try. I haven't seen it yet. So. But House of Gucci, definitely up there. Adam Driver. Is Adam Driver just in everything now? Like he just makes it. I, I, I swear, him and Timothy Chalamet, like they're, just, they're Wait, everywhere. I just wanted to take another look at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Zach. What? All right, we're moving on. We're moving on. I don't consider myself a moral person, but, but I'm I am fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's get to Wes. Wait, wait, wait. What? What did you think of Come On, Come On, Caleb? Come On, Come On. What do you mean? The trailer. Oh, what? With Joaquin. Oh, oh, I. I. You know what? I did see that trailer yeah. too. That was a nice trailer, and uh, one of those trailers that. Gives nothing away. I like those. I agree. I'm with you. Um, people, I, I, I really need to watch 20th Century Woman because people love that movie. I don't know what to expect with Come On, Come On. I don't know. Like I, I remember watching the trailer. I don't remember. I might have been for Dune, actually. Did we see it at the Dune showing? Or maybe no. I saw it the other day. I don't remember, but I don't, I don't know how to feel about it. I mean, Caleb's right. It doesn't give anything away, which is a great trailer. 
um, a great practice for trailers. Um, but yeah, all right, let's move on. Oh, actually, before we move on, do you want to hear this crisp? You want to hear how crisp this Coke sounds over the. Silence, silence. Oh, th- I mean, this could be an What is this? In the Heights? <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What? Let me listen to my blog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, French Dispatch, Wes Anderson. Before I handed things over to Eric, this was my second Wes Anderson film, but first live action Wes Anderson film, considering my only other. Caleb's. My own. Most re- <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 lost it. I lost it. I lost it. Eric, what are your thoughts on the, the Grand Budapest Hotel? Great, since I recently watched it. Uh-huh. Yeah, what are your thoughts uh-huh. on Isle of Dogs? Uh, it's been a while, but I enjoyed <laughs> it. <laughs> From purring to roughing. So, this is my first ever live production, you know, live action Wes Anderson film. Uh, it is his 10th film. His 10th film. Um, Stars Bill Murray, Benicio del Toro, Francis McDormand, Jeffrey Wright, Adrian Brody, Tilda uh, Swinton, Swinton, I don't know how to pronounce that, Owen Wilson, Timothy Chalamet, and Leah Sado? Sado. Sado. I don't know, honestly. Among many others, those are the most notable. Pretty, pretty good cast. Um, Eric, why don't you give us a little rundown? The French Dispatch. Um, yeah, the French Dispatch. It is about the French Dispatch. Um, the full. Do we count? All right, okay. The, it is okay. The full title is the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun, um, and it is about the French Dispatch, which is like a newspaper. And the movie is framed around the death of Bill Murray's character, who is the editor. And the movie is basically a cinematic representation of their last issue. So there is a section about the city of Ennui, France, with Owen Wilson as one of the reporters, Sazerac. The concrete masterpiece, which uh, centers around Benicio del Toro's Mosin Rosenthaler and Lea Seydoux's Simone. Um which is sort of about um, Benicio del Toro as this artist in jail. Revisions to a Manifesto, which uh, stars Francis McDormand and Timothy Chalamet in like a kooky student revolution where um, Francis McDormand writes some of their manifesto. And then the private dining room of the police commissioner with Jeffrey Wright playing Roebuck Wright. Um and he is trying food out in um, out in France, and crazy things happen. That is that is my rundown. That's a good rundown, the best I've ever heard. So let's oh. start. Um, let, I think the best way to do this would be would be to go piece by piece. There's kind of we can start with the intro slash add in Owen Wilson's little uh, you know little tour of France, but um. Yeah, I mean, off the bat, you know, this is, like I said, my first live-action Wes Anderson film. So I guess this is that the aesthetics are something that sounds typical for a Wes Anderson film. Am I correct in saying that? The Just yes. the kind of 
I don't even know how to say it, like the symmetry, the 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 really like the still camera with the really just lot going on in the in the foreground and background. Um, you know, the the very intro sequence is that um what I think is eventually we realize the obituary, correct? The beginning, they're reading because at the end they're typing the obituary mm-hmm. and that's what's being read in the first yeah. ten minutes or so. Um The intro sequence is actually um an homage. An, an Jacques I'm forgetting which movie, but that sequence of the person running up the interesting the okay. newspaper building is a direct reference to Jacques Tati, who very much did, who's very much an influence on Wes Anderson. Cool, I didn't know that. That's actually really cool to know. Um, because I really like that. That was a nice, interesting. As soon as I saw, it, I'm like, oh, okay. And now I'm, I've always like, this is getting into Wes Anderson. Um, but yeah, I mean, so this is. You know, I don't know how it feels. It's going to be interesting because I think we all have varying degrees of uh, experience with Wes Anderson films. Excuse me. Um, and so it's interesting. I wonder, uh, a question I'm going to ask kind of throughout is I wonder how the aesthetics work for you. Um, if you're kind of like, okay, we've seen this a hundred times. Or if you're like more like me, like, oh, damn, this is cool. Like, I have, you know, I've never seen it before. So, you know, I've seen like photos. Um but we, we start off with the obituary kind of reading. We don't, you know, kind of know that yet. But, um, you know, learning about Bill Murray's character, the editor um, and slash owner, right? He's the owner of the newspaper as well. Um, so, first of all, how much do you like the intro um, kind of getting situated and everything? And I guess how much do you like how, like, do you like this idea of, like how how does this feel to have a a newspaper like a visual representation of a publication, and how do you like the three stories for? Uh, I'm you know we're gonna get more into this later, but I'm I'm just kind of on a larger scope. How do you feel about the film and how it kind of goes about this story? Well, Wes Anderson intros are famously. Like some of my favorite parts. Really? I, I love them so much. They're so cozy. They make you feel That's like true. you're like getting into a picture book. Um, I like saw it and I was just like smiling ear to ear. Feels so good. And it's like this one, there's the opening of the Royal Tenenbaums, um, which ha- like basically like introduces every single member of the family. Um, there is, is there one in Grand Budapest Hotel <laughs> where they're like talking about the history of the hotel and how Ray finds um like came to be the owner. The main one that sticks out to me is um <laughs> is Royal Tenenbaums, but this very much felt like that. They're so cute. Which did you like this intro the most of like more than the Royal Tenenbaum one or the hard I like say? I hard to, I like them both. Okay. Caleb, do you how do you feel about the intro to like I don't know, just kind of getting set in there? Yeah, it set the tone. It was nice. <laughs> it was cozy. I, I have to say, it is very. <laughs> it's so cute. It's such, ah. it's a very just cozy movie all pretty much all around. Um, what about the format? You know what? What about this idea of taking this publication? You know, the, the there's like the stories within the story. The main story being Bill Murray's character's you know, death, and them publishing the last. You know, there's. You know, all the beginnings, the quirks of the character, one of it being his will, where he basically says he wants the paper destroyed after he's um, dead and they're publishing this last issue. And 
you know, it walks us through basically the publication. You get the small obituary at the beginning. You get the little couple. And I like how they have the little page numbers, too. So it's like, you know, like, oh, this is page three through five is the little Owen Wilson run through Paris or Paris, France, and then the three main stories and then the epilogue. How, I guess, like I said, looking from a large scope, how did that work? Did you like it? You know, what, for instance, one of the criticism I've seen of this film is that it lacks the emotional depth of other Wes Anderson films because there is no one large cohesive story. The only cohesive story that attaches A to B is the, you know, bigger Bill Murray death, but you're not in that world for 99% of the film. You're in these little stories. So what do you think about the way this is? Like, what do you think about this idea of, of making a publication into a film? I think, then this is something that's just coming to me now, so I haven't thought this through, but this is Grand Budapest Hotel, but better. Like, Grand Budapest Hotel is set in multiple timelines. There's, like, the present um, with, uh, with the whole, like, we're stealing the painting, and then there's the past. There's, like, I think there's three different aspect ratios and three different storylines. It's also about, like, a will so like um this movie is framed also by the death of someone who was beloved um and also is exactly that it's even more like i guess great Budapest hotel isn't very meta but it's more like narratively twisty and going in and out of different different timelines different mediums as alan said Wait, sorry, which the ones? So you're saying Grand Budapest is more twisty? No, this is definitely a step twistier. Like, okay. I mean, that first um, story, uh, the concrete masterpiece, is um, like is already like a story within a story that's then framed by Tilda Swinton's yeah, talk yeah. about like about um, Benicio del Toro. It is everything that was in Grand Budapest Hotel, but honestly, like. Form-wise, like, another step more more intricate. And it gives Wes Anderson a lot of room to play with. Um, everything he's trying to talk uh, talk about, I, I think. Um, it, I don't know. I think, I think, most of all, it feels very playful. It makes it feel more playful. But I, I push back against everyone saying that this is not an emotional movie. Because I think this is Wes Anderson's motion, most emotional movie wow. since The Darjeeling Limited, which was, like, 2007. That's interesting. I mean, I you know I, I only saw the review of David Ehrlich um, and someone else who mentioned it being what they considered the you know like most hollow or but le- least emotional depth. False. Um, Have those people seen the Grand Budapest Hotel? That movie <laughs> is not emotional. Um, I. It's interesting. I think we're going to get into each story um, on their own, talk about them, but uh, yeah, this is very much told in a. The three stories are not re- not connected in any way where I guess the Grand Budapest Hotel, I've never seen it, is you said kind of the past, present, and future or something of, of this hotel. So there, there's a connection. There's more of a connecting layer. Is that true? Yeah. It's like, so oh, this like one, in my past, like in my past, like this happened to me. Like that's how I got like that sort of thing. So why does this one, before we move to Caleb, why does this one feel better to you? Like with even though it doesn't, do you think the themes between the stories tie better? Do you think, like, what about this? 
Do you think the fact it's the fact that it doesn't tie as well together? Like, what? Why does it work better for you than Grand Budapest? Um, I don't know. Grand Budapest Hotel is more of like, it's more like a, as a single cohesive story. It's more meant to feel like a fun like heist movie. Like this one, not only is each individual story more emotional than the Grand Budapest Hotel, the overarching construction of it is meant in such a way that all of the stories are supposed to be like a celebration of the writers and their process as well as a celebration of this paper which is ending and the legacy of Bill Murray's character who was very like lovingly introduced in the beginning. It's it's more emotional in every way. I, I <laughs> Yeah, I, that that I, is I really love yeah. you know, some people might say one thing I think you definitely can't claim at least in my opinion is that it's not full of character because there's just so many quirks. Like I just feel like all the characters have so many quirks and so many things that even Bill Car- Bill Murray's character, you don't see him on screen. I mean, for what? Maybe like six minutes max of like actual screen time. And yet you kind of, at least in my opinion, you kind of care about his character and the quirks he has, the no crying, the, the thing that he, you know, the relationship he has with his writers. There's, you you build connections to even characters that are not really on the screen very often, unlike other movies we've talked about where um, I know he's he drooling at the mouth over there to say it, Dune. Um, I mean, Bill know. Murray could have been a brilliant and gifted young man born into great destiny beyond his understanding. I would have been I would have been in on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he can fit the young Bill anymore. But um, Caleb, Whoa. let me ask you. That's not ageist. Um, let me ask you, Caleb. What do you think about <laughs> yeah, you said it, about <laughs> the overarching story, the idea? Does it work? Does it not work? Better than other Wes Anderson's? Worse? Emotional? You tell me. It works. Uh, I'm not a big anthology guy, but it works. This is one of the best anthology movies I've seen. I've, I, I don't know if I've seen many Period. anthology can, do you know one that I've seen for sure, Eric, an anthology movie? Have you seen Buster Scruggs? No. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen one. Night on Earth? No. Mm. I don't, yeah, this might have been my first, honestly. I, I can't recall anything similar. Maybe I could figure something out. Um, Dune part continue, one continue, continue, part two. <laughs> continue, Caleb. So it worked for you. Do you feel like it... How do you feel about the criticism that the, that the film lacked emotional depth? Yeah, that surprised me. Um, I'm with Eric on this one for sure. Um, I thought each story was really brimming with emotion. Uh, and then you, you could just look at each individual vignette and feel a lot uh, without the greater context that there are more stories or that... This is a newspaper, and it is about Bill Murray, who is, you know, dying, and this his little empire is is you know perishing along with him. Without even all that emotional context, I think the stories themselves uh, have have a real touching beauty to them. My favorite was was the first one. Uh, yeah, and I I don't know, just in that kind of gets 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 you just just through you know art and creation and i don't know i i felt very connected to these characters who all 
you know, deeply cared about something. And when you care as much as they do, when you, I should say, when you care about them as much as they care uh, about their pursuits, uh, I think that's a great recipe for uh, fashioning an emotional bond. And yeah, I, so I'm, I'm just surprised by, by this popular criticism. Um, and I think... Yeah, I think even if you were if you were unsure throughout, it really closes on an emotional emotional note. Of course, there's the after note, uh, which really is just about Bill Murray's death, but also his legacy, which is you know commonly a touching thing to see. But right no before then, uh, the last line, last lines before that uh, after note, when uh, Roebuck right, yeah, when he's talking about how he cut out the the part of his story that that made him feel the most uh bill murray says i think that's exactly the reason you know that that you should that, I should, that you should be writing this that that these parts of the story are the reason for its existence and he said you know as if he couldn't even bear the the emotion that this movie carries right response you know i couldn't agree less and i don't know that that was a very powerful moment for me and i think it's going to stick with me for quite some time yeah i think i mean this I, i've never seen a movie like this i never expected to see a publication put into it it's just so one just interesting and intriguing and creative um and i do think there's there is that layer that ties it all together I think you can make an argument that the stories have some common threads and at the very least there's that common thread of being part of this magazine and you yeah it, or publication and it, it's it's very interesting um before we get into each story because i think we should um talk about them a little bit what did you guys think of the owen wilson little before part how do you feel about that eh good not really amazing you liked it the little the I, the fir, I didn't, was not expecting the little first person action we got uh, the POV shots. Um, oh, I want to melt. Oh, it's so cute. Also, I think that shot, that first shot where it's like the city of Ennui wakes up suddenly. Oh, with and all then, the people and come then out. all the people coming out. It's so well choreographed, so yeah, well timed. Agreed. Is that a typical thing? I mean, is that very typical? Not, of a West not to that extent. So I the, I don't think it's 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 like. Oh, I just don't know how it, it's I don't think there's generally movement that feels so natural in a Wes Anderson movie, but it's so natural yet so like in time and precise um, in like a Wes Anderson fashion. Yeah, this seemed very natural to me. Yet it reminded fabricated. me of a picture <laughs> in Cemetery of Splendor. Well, Sorry I mean... to bring it up. <laughs> there's a scene of people moving around in a park that very much that that shot very much reminded me of <laughs> yeah it is very well choreographed so let me ask you guys let's let's go through i want to know from worst to best you know one two and three worst to best what was your order of the of the films caleb one two three one was the worst one was oh, oh. excuse me i was so excited you're good about, you're good about so, my man benicio Shout out to Mateen, uh, that I I couldn't help but lead with it. So worst to best, yeah, three 
Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. <laughs> I I am also in the three, two, one boat. Oh, I am. Eric. Okay, I am one, three, two. Interesting. One, three, two. So one worst and two the best. All right. Well, let's dive into them. Let's let's talk a little bit. Let's start with number one. Uh, Caleb and I's favorite and Eric's least favorite. Um. Yeah. So. I mean, to describe story number one, uh, it stars Benicio del Toro as this prisoner who is in jail for murdering two men in a bar fight. Um, and we later see like kind of like a flashback kind of reencountment uh, or reenactment of it, as I should say. Um, in it is also Adrian Brody playing the man who essentially uh, buys Benicio del Toro's character Moses, uh, buys his artwork and turns him into like a kind of famous artist. Um, and then the other major character is uh, played by Lea Sedo. Sedo? Sedo? <laughs> one, one of these days I'll pronounce it correctly. Uh, and she plays the character Simone. Um, and essentially we see this character Moses get make these really interesting pieces of art, um, essentially depicting Simone, who is a prison guard at the prison he is at, uh, her naked body, but in an abstract way. And there's a very clever whole story about um, Adrian Brody's character, uh, Julian, taking the art to these older men and saying we you know like I we've discovered modern art and there's this you know kind of funny moment of him describing what modern art is as it not necessarily meaning anything and then he he says something interesting that I really liked uh, before I opened it up and that is like it's not the fact it's I'm I'm gonna butcher the quote but it's basically the idea it's not the fact that he made this abstract weird looking piece of art. It's the fact that he can make something very nice. He, he has like this picture of a sparrow, right? This like very prettily drawn, simple sparrow. He's like a perfect he, sparrow. That's perfect sparrow. He can draw this, but yet he chooses to draw that. And so that was just, it was just such a like quirky, clever, like, you know, and then, and, you know, these guys get rich basically off of find, founding modern art and. I don't know. There's there's a lot of themes in it. There's I mean, the characters just feel so interesting too. You have the haunt, you know, Moses is this artist who got put in prison and then didn't touch art for years and then falls in love with Simone, the guard, and basically makes art for her of her kind of um I don't know. This it's there's there's a lot to this. Caleb, tell me tell me a little bit about why you like this story a lot like what about this story stuck with you or what little quirks did it did it leave you thinking about uh of the three i think this was the most compelling story uh the most interesting figures you know characters and and story drive um and 
I don't know. You, you'll you'll always get me a little bit with with the tortured artist stuff. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It was just trying. I think it was. It, it's the story of creation uh, within this story of creation, and and trying to discover some meaning in in a kind of hopeless place through. Uh, through making something and through through discovering something beautiful that's not there before the one person who can create that beauty you know embarks on that journey and then the story is that journey but it's also really funny definitely the the funniest of the three stories in sure. my opinion um and, and I think it's a really sweet yet quiet relationship at the core with Moses and Simone. Uh, very subtle, I think, especially for, for Wes Anderson, who is capable of, of throwing everything at you. <laughs> uh, but here, let something quieter and easier take over, and you can just appreciate... Uh, I don't know, appreciate the emotion of the art while ha- having this beautiful backdrop, of course, and all the hijinks uh, and satire involved with, <laughs> with the abstract art. And uh, yeah, I think it was all just put together very well and neatly wrapped. And and I keep going back to visually the uh, when, after he paints on the walls the wall, yeah. and then you have that big tableau where everyone's frozen we pan across the whole room as this fight's about to break out i think that's just you know a beautiful summary of of the impending chaos of this story but you know each singular frame really captures a lot of poignancy uh and on top of that this is my second time this year watching benicio del toro play a prisoner who a, a a high profile prisoner who also happens to be an excellent artist's artist and who seduces a prison employee so <laughs> i don't know kind of weird to see that again it's but, the character but you know? very nice if you haven't seen escape at denimora a very nice limited series anyway so eric now I want you to tell me some critiques. Why? Why? Or just why does this one not work for you? Or it doesn't not work at all. I I love this one. Okay. So why is it your least favorite? Um, it's it's my least favorite just because just like by the construction of it, it's the least. I mean, I I think it's the least accessible one. Um, I think the other two stories are very clear in that the part of the focus of the stories and like following the journalists around is we're supposed to see like the power and the value of what they do. Like part of what we get out of like their accounts is not just like what's happening, but like the human effect, how like, how these how the writing process like affects these writers what they're learning about themselves like how they channel some of their own sadness um into their work like this is very clear like when the girl in um 
revisions of a manifesto like talks about like doesn't she say something about like Frances McDormand being like what does she what does she call what does she call her what does that girl call call her like an old maid yeah like an old maid and a, yeah, like yeah. Call, basically calls out like and you see like her loneliness and you see the way that's channeled through the filmmaking and it's clear in the in the third story and like oh like I couldn't agree less and that final conversation between uh Roebuck Wright and um uh the chef oh my god I'm blanking on his name oh, yeah, I don't remember the, the chef, chef Nescafier talking about what it means to like navigate um basically like white dominated communities as like a foreigner um you see that emotional process and that emotional like arc over the story very clearly whereas in this first story the concrete masterpiece all of that is filtered through Tilda Swinton um performance after the fact which is a bit harder for me to parse. I, I think it's fun. For sure. And I think she's really funny. <laughs> and I like all the little um quirks to it, but I I guess I felt the least during this one, as much as I loved the chaos of like the fight post um unveiling of the concrete masterpiece. As much as I loved this is the one that has the tableaus, right? That goes through each of the different museums in like a single in like a single dolly. As much as I loved all of that, I I just felt the least with this one. Yeah, that's fair. I think, you know, what's interesting is I think, to me, all these, there, there wasn't a huge gap between all three or anything. There were definitely, it was very small gaps. Um, and I don't even know if there's necessarily 100% of reason. Sometimes it's just a feeling you have of, oh, this one just clicked with me more or what. Um, but I did think this one, as Aikip said, was the funniest um, that had a lot of laugh moments the way it was told too through the TED talk style museum, you know, thing was very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I thought that it was also just, um, uh, Leia, uh, I won't even try to pronounce her last name who plays Simone. Um, I thought she did a very wonderful job. Some of the shots of her just being like quiet, like just, just standing there. It's just, she's, she had like, this way of being funny and serious and all these emotions at once just by standing there and looking at the camera. Um, the whole thing about her being a contortionist and like posing as like in those weird ways was hilarious. And, you know, just, I don't know. It, I think something about her also made it rich. So I think it's important to mention her. Um, and then just kind of the salesman type, you know, making a buck off of the modern art. I thought that was, a, I just, it was a lot of, I thought there was a lot of layers to it where the other two felt a little bit more straightforward to me, but I thought this one had a lot more depth. Um, and it just kind of, I don't know, it just kept me glued in. All right, let's go to number two. So number two has Timothy Chalamet, has Francis McDormand. Christoph Waltz. <laughs> Christoph Waltz. Uh, and Eric, you want to give us a little synopsis of story number two? Um, story number two is pretty much, okay, wait, story number two is, um, <laughs> Sorry to put you on the revisions spot. of a manifesto, and it's about this, uh, Francis McDormand's crement, um, like, making an article about this student, um, 
the student protest happening in is it still happening in Ennui? Yeah, I believe I think all of them take place in Ennui, right? Is that am I wrong with it? That's the one thing I have to say. Is it is. I'm a little. Yeah. I was a little confused throughout. There was quite a few mention of Kansas, and <laughs> I was just like a little bit confused sometimes. About... Yeah, the paper is based in Kansas, but it like gives the people. It's like my understanding is that it's like romantic, like journal like accounts from France for okay. people in Kansas. Yeah. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah, but basically she's there and she's pretty much like profiling the revolution, the chessboard revolution as it's called. Um, and uh, it's the revolution's like leader who is like Timothy Chalamet and um, quote from Wikipedia, despite her insistence on maintaining journalistic integrity, she uh, fucks Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> um, the, to put it to put it subtly, uh, subtle, uh, subtly. Um, no, that's not on Wikipedia. That probably wasn't on Wikipedia. <laughs> that was uh, that was Eric's on Wikipedia. That is true. That is a portion of it. There's um, an interesting. There's like these ideas of you know her her character following these protests, but then also there is another layer of her. You know, she's more intimate into the story than the previous story mm -hmm. in the journalist. Um, and I think two and three both have more intimate journalist connections, like you said. Because um, this one is a lot, you know, of her dealing with her life and her lone, you know, loneliness, being as the young girl called her an old maid, and and uh, yeah, so there's there's definitely that extra layer there, and the the sex scene, well, not sex scene, but the having sex with Timothy Chalamet's character, um, was definitely not something I saw coming, <laughs> um, and an interesting little, um you know, led to a lot more interesting development of her character. I felt like, I, I agree, I think, of the three journalists, I felt like the first one, I, I'm forgetting her name, she had the least amount of depth, but I did think she was the funniest, you know. So Frances McDormand's character had a lot of depth to her to her character. So I mean, I like this one because I feel like it's the most lively. Like, I feel like part of that is just because it's depicting a student revolution. There's, like, young love in there. Timothy Chalamet ends up becoming this like <laughs> martyr character. Um, it has so much exuberance and fun to it, and it has that <laughs> such a like fun shot of Timothy Chalamet and the um, girl Juliet after um, Frances McDormand tells them to uh, go make love after um, like a disagreement, and it's like <laughs> it's in color again. That was, that was a nice, and movie. it's like blue light. Nothing. Oh, <laughs> like all the like fluorescent lighting. Ugh, I I thought it was I thought it was just very fun, and I I thought I was moved by it, and I had the most fun watching it. Yeah, I really liked. It's so funny too. Part of the reason I really liked the second one is it gave me so much. It, it just clicked. I feel like being college students, it kind of clicked a little bit mm -hmm. more because it was just like it was almost funny when he would say some of these things, Timothy Chalamet's character would say some of these things to, you know, for this manifesto and then Francis McDormand's character would kind of shut him down as like, you know, just like these, these intellectual students thinking, you know, they're all that and their ideas are all so, you know, like, and then she was talking about the girls and how they shoot the girl would always say that one line about like, what was it? It was something like, I like, I know not like, it was like basically that she wouldn't take criticism or that she knew there was that. What, what was it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I remember in the argument, like when um, when she when the little girl gives, or the college girl gives Timothy Chalamet's character 
the manifesto back. She's just like, she says this one tagline that she's said many times before, and I can't remember what it is now. Um, and Francis McDormand's character calls her out on that. So I think there was this interesting criticism of college of like these intellectual students, but also like praise for them because her character was ultimately like sympathetic for their cause, but also was like a little bit like critical. Yeah, I mean, and then when he misses the chess game, the government comes out and starts shooting. Them. Yeah, no, 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 no. I no, I definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely more crazy. But no, I mean, like, no. Do you, I mean, do you do you feel that too, or do you think? It's, yeah, I. I definitely do. It's I definitely think still sided the with the. Like, it definitely still sided with the, with the with the students, but it highlighted and satirized the absurdity of everything that was going on in a fun way. Yeah, and then yeah, the manifesto with the appendix and everything yeah. like that was hilarious. Um, I thought the um, I really, I don't like little quirks is what made this movie seem so deep to me. Uh, filled with depth is is like the the theater reenactment of the uh of the guy leaving the army mm -hmm. like that little thing and like friends between dormancy characters like basically rather than telling the story or having the character tell the story it instead does this year like decades like whatever years later theater reenactment of this even that little theater reenactment is so emotional too. Yeah, I was moved by it. No, and then like the little the at the end of that when he jumps out the window and they're like something that's like like and he like he never like he didn't move or he didn't you know something like mm -hmm. that. And then yeah, it, it, it the movie's just filled with so much of those little moments that you just that stay in your head. Um, Caleb, what do you what do you what do you feel about? Well, before before let me ask, how do you I thought Francis McDormand killed it? What do you guys feel about Timothy Chalamet? I thought he was a young, gifted, <laughs> uh, something or a other. A gifted young man born into great destiny beyond his understanding. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you could be describing either character right now. Honestly, he 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 was like a chess master or something. So yeah, more Sur earned here. Surprised you sure. didn't identify with that part of the the story yeah it, they didn't they didn't get into the chess enough uh <laughs> yeah, it seemed yeah. like they were kind of using chess mm -hmm. and yeah we don't we don't like that no if you're gonna talk to treat me, Gail, it right talk to me about the second story what do you what do you think uh yeah i i liked it i liked it a lot as well i think you guys covered a lot of it so i won't sit here and and echo you um just more on the overall emotional resonance that we've been discussing uh, my impression is that a lot of people took his death at the end as kind of a joke. Who's of story two? Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean they took it as a joke? I don't know. That's just my impression is that people are like like oh it's just like some light thing to cap off the story. Now it's over. Blah mm -hmm. blah blah. But I I actually saw that as a very emotional mm -hmm. component that more than just being a button really sealed the whole story in in this kind of added or it gave gave an impression of, of added significance and, and sealed it and made it feel all of it more meaningful um in in a like it was a true journey and not just something that had to be done to uh, to cap everything off and like, oh, because it's Wes Anderson, we'll make it a quirky death and, and it'll, you know, it's like it doesn't mean anything. It's just 
tying up loose ends. To me, it felt it it had some some gusto to it. Um, part of it is that it's so sudden and like so like almost off the cuff. And maybe yeah, because I mean, we just like, maybe I mean, do you think it's also just a little bit part of like we we just not and then we just saw that too you know the kids fall in love or whatever yeah and he like you know he did he did make it he was at the top uh, yeah. at it, the it, end and like, it doesn't oh. go against his character at all no it doesn't uh and it's like oh yeah this is real this can happen it's not permanent which goes along with the entire movie uh so yeah i thought that was uh more effective than it's probably being perceived as this movie is being painted generally in an unemotional light, but I think it's easy to see it as something that's uh, carries a lot of thematic weight and and should be considered more seriously and more meaningfully. Yeah, I, I feel like the crux to why Wes Anderson's movies work is because of moments like that. It's like Wes Anderson's movies try to find emotion like within how rigidly structured and precise everything that's going on is, whether it's the dialogue or the or the style or the quirkiness and the realization of like how sad what happens to Tim to Timoth of what happens to Tim Timothy Chalamet <laughs> like is is like even more emotional because it's set within Wes Anderson's structure and within his style. Like, yeah, that is, that is Wes Anderson. And you know, too, I think it's good to mention that I, I really like this scene that, per, uh, su- succeeded, uh, su- succeeded. Yeah. Succeeded each of the stories, um, where Bill Murray's character is coming basically to talk to the journalist. Um, and I thought, that one was even was the most powerful. Well, I don't know. The third one was really good uh, at that little after scene. This one was really good too because he comes in like quietly, sees her working, and it's just this one little thing. This is this is something that I feel like I really love. I love when there's callbacks, callbacks to small things, and that small thing was Bill Murray's character walks in, and then the, right on the front in the foreground was a burnt was burnt toast sitting on the plane. Uh, and her eating burnt toast, which was mentioned by Timothy Chalamet's character as being a smell that he f- like grew fond of for her, um, Frances McDormand's character. So, um, yeah, I I really um, I really like those after scenes because I feel like it it one ties it to the main story, but also they give us a little beat with the with the writer, and they almost like allow us to kind of process like what we've just gone through like like what we've just cons- you know seen from the story so let's jump to story number three um story number three uh caleb i'm gonna put you on the spot oh no you want to give some type of description of story number three to the best of your ability oh my lacking ability <laughs> um yikes like uh see a food critic and he's He's like retelling the story in like a talk show. Right. Um, um. Well, first and foremost, thing this is like a, a tribute to James Baldwin. Uh, that's and think Jeffrey Wright does a fine job uh, in this emulation. Uh, 
Um, yeah, this is this is a pretty twisty story. Yeah. Um, he goes for dinner to the police station, and then somehow, like, there, there's a child. The police, yeah. The-, the the police commissioner's child gets taken where he meet where the child meets Saoirse Ronan, who plays a prostitute. Yes, or showgirl. Showgirl slash junkie. And then there, Edward Norton is in there. Is Edward Norton the commissioner? No, he's the chauffeur. Is what they credit him as? I think he's like the head of the kidnapping group. Yeah. Right. Um. Yes. And then they have like a shootout or something. And then this, there's also a part of the story where they all get poisoned, and the <laughs> chef comes in with all the food to the giving all the food to the criminals, right? And then the chef eats it himself, but then gets antidoted, and then everyone dies. Yes, essentially, yeah. So and then there's and a there's whole a big there's animation, a big animation chase sequence, sequence chase sequence. So I think he like goes and do a story basically on the how the the chef for the police department. In that police department, there is a crim- an accountant for the criminal underworld that has been captured, Willem Dafoe's character, and the kidnappers are this under you know underground. You know, these criminals who are all banded together and have the same accountant who kidnapped the police commissioner's child to try to get the accountant released. Um, essentially, they go. There's the, you know, the big part is while they're having the stakeout slash, you know, before the shootout, um, they mention the importance of the chef in like calming down the commissioner. It's like, like nothing, like, you know, like nothing's better than like a dinner, or, like a fresh dinner or something. And like, you see these wonderful scenes. I love that scene um, in the beginning of story three where um, Jeffrey Wright's character is at the police station and he is saying that he doesn't even know the magic of what goes on behind the kitchen. And you see those couple scenes, like just just the crazy like reenactment of what's going on behind the kitchen door. Um but yeah, it's this kid too is really smart, knows Morse code. He like taps a strategy or something into the pipes and stuff like that. And they send the food and they have the chef, the kidnappers have the chef test it. Um, it's just a, such a weird story. Oh my God, story and the cooking sequences were so good. Yeah, so yeah. good. The food looked incredible. Yeah. Oh, and it's such a just weird story too because never would a situation like this happen. And so it's like, the kidnappers accept the chef to make them a really good dinner um, because the, the chef is also a police officer. Yeah, yeah. The, but the, like the kidnappers let him because the kid is hungry. <laughs> and so the, the chef goes in. He The radishes are poisoned. One of the three parts of the meal is poisoned. So he tries all three, including the radish, gets poisoned. Everyone else who eats the dinner dies, but they poison the radishes because they knew the kid hated radishes. And wouldn't eat them, so the kid didn't. But then it turns out, I think Edward, his um, Norton, the chauffeur, yeah, the chauffeur, did not like radishes. He didn't like either. radishes either. So then you get, uh, and I really want to hear this part because this was the one thing um, that Olivia did not like about this film was the animated car chase sequence. And I'm interested to hear what you guys think about it because so essentially after we find out that the boy's alive because he needs radishes and the chauffeur is alive because he'd need the radishes either. The the scene, the film becomes animated for a good five minutes 
uh, an animated car chase, car, you know, chasing. Uh, there's like the comedic, like stops the, the kidnapper, stops the car, goes through like 10 different landscapes at, all the way circling back to the car. And then they drive more. And then there's like this superhero kind of, you know, the kid gets on top of the car. There's this funny like wrestler too that's on top of the front of the hood of the car. And then the kid basically jumps back or, you know, gets the father grabs him and then the the animated reunion sequence. And it's, it's so it's, it's all animated for the rest of the story um, until then it cuts back to, you know, him retelling in the talk show. So what do you think about that? I mean, you know, Olivia, who we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, mentioned that she um, was told me that she was very much she was taken out of the story by it. She said it kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. So what do you guys think about that? Because I feel like you could go either way. Uh, immediately, I became suspicious that they didn't have the money to do a full chase sequence. And I think this was compounded by the fact that so much of this movie is in black and white, which has also historically been a money-saving uh, choice. Not to say I didn't like it. I think black and white versus color in this movie is actually very wonderfully employed. But once you once we see a movie that's you know da- goes back and forth like that, and then we have this animation sequence during what would be probably the most complicated and expensive uh, part of the shoot if they were to do it practically. That's immediately what I went to, um, and yeah, I, I of course the animation was nice, but I I don't think I think it, the the potential with the animation is just far lower than it would be if they did it for real. Uh, so I, yeah, I would have loved to see a real uh, live action car chase, but so when you see it, Caleb. In- instinctively like because you know as a viewer you didn't get any like other type of like ah oh, this is like this like the only reason that kind of came to you is like eh, that this seems like it's just because they ran it wasn't like some big like oh my god it's animated because this 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 it felt yeah, more it, just... my f- it, my first thought was definitely budget uh and, and i, I haven't come up with an artistic road, explanation since eric how do you feel yeah my first thought was oh did covid mess up their shoot and they had to leave early and then it was oh maybe they didn't have enough money yeah well and and this is a good time to bring up that this film's uh budget i believe was 25 million dollars so i don't know how that fits with uh you know if you look at other wes anderson films um for instance, his last big film, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, or Isle Hotel, of Dogs, was also twenty-five million. Isle of Dogs was animated. It was, um, you know, what doesn't say how much it it was. Um, although the box office was sixty-four million, uh, Grand Budapest, like I was saying, was twenty-five million, grossed one hundred seventy-two million. That's wow, that's really good. Um, Isle of Dogs had a thirty-five mil budget. Okay, well, but that's because it's stop motion. And Moonrise Kingdom had a sixteen million dollars. So I mean, did Grand Budapest Hotel have any moments that also fell under budgeted? Maybe 
or no grand budapest hotel had lots of like but maybe chase like heist type sequences to it i mean there was a lot of different stuff involved this definitely feels like a more large scale movie yeah than so grand budapest to me but for eric you also that's the only real conclusion that came to you there's not like a yeah other than a Haha, like, like we're we can, blending mediums. Yeah, haha, like, like, the, we, like we had theater. We had, um, what else did we have? We had the TED Talk. Yeah. Like, we had painting. It's now interesting. We have animation. It wasn't like I wasn't disgusted, but I was also like, it took me a minute to get adjusted. And then I was like, okay, didn't add anything. Didn't, you know, I guess it took away. But yeah, it was weird. I was just wondering. I guess we're all on the same page with that. Um, I don't know if Wes Anderson himself could sit in this room and tell you uh, a convincing reason to be like, Eric and Caleb, you know what? It was for this reason. And that you would be like, I'd love to hear. Wow. That's honestly my biggest question that I... <laughs> that, if you had to ask him one question about I bet, the movie. Honestly, I bet someone has asked him about the animated sequence. I, it seems like the, like... It could be. Um, if I... I mean, we could. you could look it up. What's... um? Let's see. The French Dispatch animated sequence i wonder wonder if someone did um oh he did i think there he did talk about it a little bit eric you should pull up this article um to search the french dispatch animated sequence this is we need a producer this episode who wants to be a producer by google uh we need olivia's gonna be our producer i'm gonna talk to her about that we need <laughs> someone to like start pulling up stuff and uh present you know putting it on the on the on the podcast for us um but it looks like there's an interview in that article well he's also been that. doing the festival circus and doing lots of stuff i bet i bet someone's asked him but i'd yeah. be surprised if he admitted that it was a financial yeah, decision no for sure he definitely wouldn't he said all i see is this quote that said so it made sense to have it um i'm not going to read the whole article um two months the whole process of animation took seven months he tells us two months pre-production so uh, all throughout the movie, there are many short comic-style static sequences that tell the story. So it made sense to have an animated sequence as if we were inside the comic. I don't know what that means. Not so, very convincing. <laughs> sounds like a me. little bit... Um, there is an almost absurd side in the sequence that I found quite funny. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting article. Maybe I'll have to read it a little bit more after um, just to see what it said. But yeah, definitely was an interesting little tidbit. Um so yeah, let's let's wrap up. Um, you know, then the ending, we get that we go into Bill Murray's character, uh, him passing away, and then the writers all, um, it's basically a, a you know cyclical, starting the movie over, writing the uh, obituary for him together, that eventually becomes the intro to the film. So, kind of a nice little wrap up to end you know like we're back where we started type situation what else anything any what do you guys think any final thoughts anything you wanted to say about the movie as a whole good or bad criticism or praise um about the french dispatch anything lingering i couldn't agree less is like one of the moments of the year you 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 really like that moment. Yeah. I mean, I think I couldn't yeah. agree more. <laughs> I mean, it's the sort of thing like you guys are all going to hate me and I hate myself that I'm saying this, but the way I feel about the most emotional moments in the French in like Wes Anderson movies is very similar to how I feel about David Lynch. 
in that the way they write is so distinct and so otherworldly in the way that they craft films. Wes Anderson especially is so precise and rigid and cold that when, but like the emotion to them is so simple. Um, in David Lynch, it's through like simple lines similar to like, I couldn't agree less and like abstract imagery in Wes Anderson. It's stuff like Royal Tenenbaums, like I've had a rough year. This, like I couldn't agree less. It's these simple lines of dialogue that stand out to you so much because of how unadorned they are, how raw they are. Um, and you feel like they're powerful because they've had to push through so much style and so much adornment, I guess. So much of everything else that's there. Um, and that moment really does it for me. That is like moment of the movie. Like, yes, like this is one of the best things he's ever made. Like, let's go. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. I, I did not think you two would be so positive on this film, um, especially just, you know, I, I don't know. I just especially because I saw some of the public general audience. Not that I should think. Of what you are you two trying to say? General audience. Zach? I'm not saying anything. I just said. You know, I just saw, you know, David Ehrlich's review and some others that just said that it was fine, but it was his not, it's not his great work. And even as I was peeking at some of the critic, uh, critics, I, uh, critical responses on the Wikipedia page, I also see some of the same ideas of like, it might not be, I don't know what this word means. It might not be at the very zenith of what he can achieve, but for sheer moment by moment pleasure, it is a treat. So... For some reason, for people, they just feel like this is beneath, like a little bit, not his best Boo. work. Boo! Who was but, that? I, um, this is Peter Bradshaw, ready for Boo, the, the Guardian. Boo! Sponsor us. Yeah, and then David Rooney of the Hollywood Reporter talked about it not having a strong, overarching theme, but still being, you know, that's I just don't know. insane to me. Um, That's actually insane. 74% of 224 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes are positive with an average rating of 7.1 out of 10. I don't know what that means for perspective, but there you go. And box office wise, um, you know, box office is doing now. amazing. 12 million in two weeks, 12.5 million in two weeks. And it's got a, that was as of November 3rd. So today, um, and that's about half of its budget. So I don't know what to expect. I mean, movies are weird nowadays with box office stuff anyways, but... but Wes Anderson movies normally make good money, though. Yeah. I mean, two weeks? I mean, what? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to make it's not gonna make its budget back. But Wes Anderson normally makes really? its Really? Wait, back. what? You don't think it's going to make its budget back? No. How did... How did... the Wait, then how did um the Grand Budapest, Grand Budapest Hotel, like... Six times its budget. It's called something called the pandemic. <laughs> oh, so you think that's the reason? Yeah. Damn it, that, but that significant. Like, I would say, like you would think it would make at least like fifty million or better reviews, more word of mouth, just a, probably a generally more accessible movie. I wonder if this is a. I wonder. I, I'd be interested. I'm not big on looking at box office numbers, but I wonder. Just in general, how movies are doing this year, probably not, not great. great. I wonder what the. Do you know what the biggest box office movie of the year is so far? Uh, Pig. 
It <laughs> is not pig. Um, it's Shang-Chi, and it made 222... There's no way that's accurate. $223 million? Could that be... Oh, no, that's just domestic. Wow. That's gross. Yeah. Wait, Good there's no Shang-Chi. way. $223 million, Eric? Is that real? Probably. I mean, they probably expected it to make, like, a billion. Hey, really? Like, close to a bit. Like, Marvel movies make, like, a billion dollars. Like uh, More than 200 is good. Like, good, for than Marvel. Is good for Marvel. Good for Marvel. I mean, they probably well, this expected one, no, no, more. No, no. This, yeah, this they box, expected wait, much more. No, no. You'd love to see the well, underdogs. So that was through. domestic. It says, it right, on Wikipedia, it says it made $423 million, but still under budget. So, yeah. we can... Under budget? I'm sorry. Still under what he was saying of a billion which i mean it's shang chi anyways and i don't know if it's gonna make as much as like uh, like avengers or well avengers like endgame made two billion that's true um, like what was the most recent marvel movie that came out before the pandemic um um endgame right yeah it was endgame oh it was endgame what was the last one before endgame before what do you mean before endgame what was the one right before endgame was it like guardians it, 2 no it was the one before endgame no. Are was, you sure about that? It, like, Ant-Man and the Wasp definitely came out. Oh, you're after. right. It was Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. Like, Ant-Man and the Wasp. But, like, I'm just, like, like Candyman made $61 million. Right? Like, you are we really saying that Wes Anderson's... Uh, like, are we just saying Wes Anderson is not as popular? I mean, made... Like, this movie had a $25 million budget. Candyman. And it made seventy seven point four million. Are we are we saying that Wes Anderson can't do that? Yeah, yeah. he can't. <laughs> Why? Is that sad? Is this sad? Yes, it is sad. Zach, this is what I've been saying for capital as is long one. as this podcast has <laughs> that been ca- going on. And the longer. capital is one. Yeah. So why is it? Why like is bad it, commercial movies? Why does a movie like Candyman make three times its, it's budget? Commercial. It's horror. It's it's. You know, build up as this experience that's going to be exciting for everybody. I mean, frankly, it's also like a blockbuster. Like the theater yeah. knew it yeah, would make money. True. Like, if you, yeah. what do you think is the highest grossing what you would consider art house? But before we end the podcast, I'm just wondering, based on this list, what do you think is the highest grossing quote unquote art house film of 2021? Uh, number 12, right there, Space Jam: A New Legacy. Because <laughs> none of these up here are. Um, the Forever Purge is not old. In the Heights is not. Um, the Green Knight is that an art house movie? Would you consider that art house? Yeah, but it was definitely well advertised. That made seventeen. No, sort of, sort of. That made seventeen million dollars, and I guarantee that that's not good. I think its it budget. beat its budget. Did it really? Yeah, the budget's fifteen mil. And it, it only made eighteen point. It made eighteen point nine. So it just barely beat its budget. It'll it'll go up a little bit more. But I mean, beneath that, I don't I don't recognize any of these other ones. Uh, uh, Last duel. Wow, Last duel only made. Last duel is not art house though. It's true. It only made ten million, by the way. Um, why is promising young woman on here? Because it opened in twenty twenty one. Um, French Dispatch is on here as well. Anyways, well, that's sad. Um, he deserves to be. Wes Wes will be allowed to make movies. He's he's an American icon. No, I know, I know. It's just sad. It's it's sad to know that. You know, maybe it's maybe I think it's a majority pandemic, but it's sad to know that shitty ass movies like Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and Free Guy and Jungle Cruise 
can make hundreds of millions of dollars while true cinema like uh, the French Dispatch doesn't make much. So you wouldn't so. consider Dune Art House. Good to know. I would, okay, yeah, I would not. <laughs> yeah, no, I would not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I, I'm, 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 I sound like a, I sound like a hater right now. Now I sound like a typical elitist movie watcher who hates the hates fun family blockbusters. But it is what it is. All right, let's wrap up. French Dispatch. You guys loved it. Yeah. Yeah. As Caleb Favorite? said, as is we walked fa- out of the movie theater. No one makes movies like him. No one makes movies like this. Yeah, it's a very feel good. It makes you just feel. I just felt so good walking out of that theater. I was like, wow. If you feel good leaving this theater, imagine how good you're going to feel. How just <laughs> warm and complete inside after you walk out of Belfast. I'm not going to feel. I'm, I, I, Caleb, I, walking out of the movie theater after this movie or finally being able to walk out of the theater after Dune? <laughs> I, I, I hate you guys so much. <laughs> finally being Just there. different kinds of intense pleasure. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We will be back next week with, I believe, Spencer, right? Spencer's next week yes. as of right now. Um, so we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.